Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from the Church Mission Society, CMS. I'm Trevor Smith. This month we meet people from India, South Sudan and the Philippines who are all living and working alongside marginalised people in difficult places, often dealing with difficult issues. They're committed to sharing life together as well as making a real difference. First, we meet a mission partner couple working in northern India. The nature of their work, raising awareness about human trafficking and educating people to prevent it, means that we don't publicise their names. But thanks to CMS's Naomi Rose Steinberg, we can hear their voices. Naomi asked them first to explain something known as the balloon game. In the balloon game, there's three separate groups of people. One is the children, um, and they have a balloon wrapped around their ankle. Then you have the parents and um, people in a community who are, who are there to safeguard children, and you have the bad people. And the bad people have to try and burst the balloons of the children as a symbol that they have been hurt, and the parents have to try and stop this. And the, the whole point of the balloon game is to show, uh, quite often you, you no, just naturally notice that the bad people form strategies of how they're going to do it, and every time we've done it, pretty much all the balloons get burst, don't yes. they? And it, it's just a symbol of that there are many people in many different ways that children can be hurt, uh, can be abused, and uh, that things, difficult things can happen to them. And that quite often the parents and the people who are there to uh, prevent these things often are not organised. They're busy with their lives, taking care of cattle or farming and stuff and, like that. Uh, but they need to yeah. be, because those who harm are well, have good strategies to, to do what they want to do, and... Yeah, we need to be proactive. That's one of the main points. Do you run that in both churches and schools, yeah. or yeah. community programs? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's an interesting approach to me because I guess we think. I mean, obviously, human trafficking is such a heavy subject. You were just saying out in the hall, sometimes how you use a bit of humor and playfulness. Mm. Is that is that something that you find works in the kind of cultural context that you're in, like a bit of humor or a bit of? Yes. It works even here because you, you need to ease up people, like because yeah. it's such a serious and sometimes scary topic, like. It's better to add humor and ease the environment mm-hmm. so that you can talk with the, the confidence. Also, re- people share more if they are a little, you know, like relaxed. In, in relaxed and yes. Also, I think because it's such a serious and dirty and horrible topic, sometimes if you give people just sort of talk about human trafficking, then they can't take it in. It's almost yeah. like they just kind of block. Mm. So you need to be able to just talk on a very normal level that they can uh, relate with, as well as give them some maybe more difficult bits. So I think that Lexi Beams has helped him to relax in that scenario. I'm going to jump a little bit because you made a comment about after the Nepal quake, is it that people will be more vulnerable to human trafficking or what's what's the connection there? Do you know, I think wherever there's natural disasters like that in, in many different countries we've yeah. heard it, that the traffickers go, they know that people are vulnerable, they're desperate and desperation is what they, they prey yes. on in whatever form it comes, whether it's, it's in a family situation where there's alcohol and drug problem and somebody wants to get out or whether it's an earthquake or mm. whatever's going on. It's desperation that they, they prey on often. I guess it hits on a bigger point because we, I guess we feel so familiar with the issue of human trafficking mm. um, and I'm, I guess maybe even more sensitized to it. But I guess where you are, obviously there are people who still aren't aware or you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Yeah. Why do you think people don't know? I would say one is the uh, area like missing. They know that children and women and boys or girls are missing, but they don't link it as uh, trafficking. Mm. Also, uh, there is a culture of uh, using children as helps, like child labor and not sending them to school or basically buying off a child. So because the culture uh, is there, uh, they don't want to accept that this is part of what leads to trafficking. 
and uh, many uh, like and uh, again the case of eloping uh, boys and girls eloping getting married and coming back but traffickers also using those methods and so for them at least for three days it's very normal but it's too late for them to realize that my daughter is missing and she's not going to come back and uh, then there's no awareness about lodging complaints how to do it what to describe keep the photo or not like all those illegal things are also needed there like when your child goes missing what to do next and i think yeah. you also just have the basic reality of some people in villages not having heard and as in just being cut off and not having heard of other things not just human trafficking i think that's a big issue but even in the towns and mm. um, people just still think that's something that happens somewhere else so when you think it's not a problem that can be in your place yeah. you don't have to be aware of it and you don't it's have to always somebody it. else's problem yeah it's, so it's that sense you're all the more vulnerable to it because in the cases of like eloping with the young girls who go off they're just excited and they don't want to think of the risks and they don't see them as as a reality that can override it with their excitement of the relationship and also so two more things uh, in the schools uh, these topics are never touched no matter what school you go especially government schools or private schools usually they're more focused on getting marks clearing exams mm. and finding a job mm. and the churches also won't talk about relationships mm. they won't talk about alcohol abuse or uh, drug abuse and stuff like that and relationship problems uh, they will mostly talk about preaching evangelism smoking and testimonies not to smoke not to drink but never really uh, addressing the real problems and Uh, that is why these two platforms the school and the church i think they themselves are not open to talking about uh, real issues like mm. this yeah how have you kind of overcome that those barriers then of people not wanting to know i mean so how are you actually able to get into schools and churches is it just a matter of being really persistent i know you're teaching mm. um but is it yeah is it just a matter of persistence I think it's relationships as well. Uh, relationships and persistence and having a platform also yeah. they they know who who we're connected with they know the church and the people so oh right you're with them then then that's like the church already has a good name in the uh, like no matter what church it is and so when people know we are working for the church then there there is more acceptance and more offers of uh, like possibilities of working with them Uh, so that relationship has really helped us. Well, you were talking about two different. You made yes. reference to two yes, different yes, people yeah. groups. So these particular people groups. I wonder if you could describe them in terms of are they socially, economically, culturally? Okay. Nepali people groups usually have the upper hand. They are fair. Uh, they have better jobs. They have little more money compared to the other group, which is Adivasi group. They are a little darker, and. Uh, the church we work with the council usually is full of nepali pastors and they have church plant in the other people group area adivasis most of these adivasis live in tea gardens which are very poor uh, communities they get uh, rations wood fuel and 17 to 25 pounds a month as their salary in one family group so part of your work then you're training up other people to be trainers as well is that we have a team so we have trained these three people right now we are here but these three people are continuing visiting schools and churches and projects so we have given them programs like 10 minutes program 21 and a half to 3 hours depending on the times and the slots they are given uh, on the school and the churches so yes they have been trained but we will we would like to train more i mean part yes. of the reason of doing the balloon game is like nobody has child protection policies nobody has yeah. things like that in schools churches and all the places that they should have them and so we we want to train people to do those things but there yeah. still is not a need. they don't see they, it they as don't a, need. See a need to have a child protection policy so until we kind of can still yeah. can continue to create that um desire then 
we, we can't train as many leaders as what we want because our people to do child protection is what we want. Let's pray for these mission partners and all they come into contact with. We thank God for their growing team and pray for more opportunities to train those who can train others in raising awareness of the realities of human trafficking in that region. To Africa now and the world's youngest country, South Sudan. With the country still afflicted by the latest political conflict, ongoing fighting and displacement of hundreds of thousands of people, the church is doing its best to build peace amid all the difficulties. Nomi Rose Steinberg met Stephen Lubari, Education Programme Manager at the Episcopal Church of South Sudan and Sudan, on a recent visit to Oxford, and asked him how hopeful he'd been about the Addis Ababa peace talks. We feel unhappy because uh, we've been expecting the peace to come, said that uh, we're able to settle down, to uh, participate in the national building, do construction of schools, improve the economy of the country. And um, with the collapse of the peace, we, we feel very uncertain what is going to happen next. Is the country again going to war or not? But we have very, very great trust in God that negotiations still again will come. We are very sure peace will come, but we don't know when. Where does your love or passion for education come from? How did, how did that grow in you personally? I became interested in teaching from early years. And uh, when we were being displaced with the, with the conflict, the early conflict, which was ended in 20, 2005, we were in the refugee camps in Uganda. And I became a teacher when I was in secondary school from two. And I picked interest in teaching because with, with teaching, you are so fresh and you get to know many things. You get to know that sincerely when you, you, know, you teach people, you teach the nation. This is my calling. You know, the church, you know, the, when you yourself are an example to many of them, people will come to hear the gospel. So my life testimony, my life example is my teaching to my community. And this is what I've taken it today to support programs in the education. And that is what is maintaining me. Whether there's pay or there's no pay, I'm doing service for my country. And this is what has given me a real great zeal. Not payment a salary, because people that had gone to standards of education like myself have been paid thousands of dollars. But I'm volunteering to do work for my community. So I have interest to really do something that people can see, something that has impact to the community. That's why I'm doing the work of education. After the outbreak of the... The, the conflict, the internal conflict in South Sudan, uh, in the greater Upper Nile, uh, we as church responded to the needs of some of the people in Upper, in Jungle State, in Unity State, and uh, in Upper Nile itself. So we as Department of Education, we've been assigned, you know, there was kind of disaster response. There was the relief wing, which was to give relief aid. And then the people also need some trauma healing. And that's why we as educational department got to be engaged as well. And those people are from the community of Bor in Lake State. It's, we had a consultation meeting, the church and the government, to train some of the church and government leaders, say that they could help in trauma healing 
in counseling because many people have been dramatized. Even in the offices, we had meeting in the education office, county education office of board. Before the meeting be started, the county education director from the government side said, Lubari, we need to pray first. God is ahead of everything. And that means there's need for prayer, this need for counseling. So these people have been selected from both government leaders in the education office, the church leaders within the diocesan education office, who could be a trainer of trainees. And then they could now go to ask some of the parishes because counseling has to be a continual process. People have been dramatized. We know it will take a little bit longer. So that was how we got to select these people, train them as counselors to help support the communities. In all the Sunday services, messages of hope, messages of reconciliation, counseling are being, you know, talked about so that people are able to come back. And this will act as a great, great thing because it encourages people to come back. Those from the IDP camps, from the internal displaced, will see now that the, the life is coming, so let them come back to the country. And that's where the peace will start coming. So do you know how many there are? How many of the people kind of all together have been trained? 40 people. It's like in the first batch, and we are still going to other locations, other deep remote locations that have not been accessed because that was like phase one. We are going to phase two, and then from phase two, we now go into the rural areas discussing about hope, reconciliation, trauma healing. So that's basically what's happening as the start. Okay. But we had intent, we are we have planned to go to all the three frontline count our states in the greater upper Nile, and actually, we have started doing work in all the three states. So all of us are in that places now. I'm wondering, how does the, the Episcopal Church, um, you know, you listed a number of needs, and they're big big needs or big areas to focus on. So how, I'm not even good at sort of prioritizing my day. Um, how do you decide uh, out of that list of things what to make priority? Within the Episcopal Church, um, you know, the future of the church or the future of the, of the country is when you have well upbringing of children and youth. The youth are the most important people. So something happened, they are the people who can even go to war. But if they are brought together, they are people who can bring peace. And that's where actually the leaders are. The future generation of the church are under the children and youth ministry. The youth themselves are the real warriors. They possess whether local weapons, whether guns, they, they have them from their parents. But if the gospel is taken through the church, and then they see the life in the church is so lively, they, now they will start coming one after another. So from there you will build a small community of peace giving, which eventually will be an example to the rest of the people in the areas. And that's where we're expecting it to be. It's a slow process, but then that's where life can come. Stephen Lubari, an inspiring person with a lot of talent who's chosen to stay in South Sudan with his people and work for the future of the country. Finally this month, we return to Asia and head to the farm with Eric and Sandra Reid. Formerly mission partners in the Democratic Republic of Congo, they moved to the Philippines, where Sandra is from, in 2011. They set up a farm on the island of Mindanao. Sarah Holmes asked them what they grew there and why? We have two main ones we grow. One, one is a guava, which is grows to about um, the size of a uh, grapefruit, usually, and is a bit and the closest would be an apple, 
but it's a bit drier, firmer flesh than an apple. It's crunchy and and that's quite popular with the Filipinos. You know, they like crunchy fruits. And then the other one is a calamansi, and that is like a small lime. It only grows to about oh an inch or a little bit bigger across, so it's quite small. But that one's um, very popular for juice, and it's used in cooking. Um, and they do process it sort of industrially as well. And you chose to grow those particular fruits because? Well, they both produce year-round. They're not seasonal. Also, they start producing within about two years of being planted. And many of the other fruits, you've got to wait five or six years. Um, They only crop once a year. Um, And there's a ready market for them both. And this is an income stream for you or it's a way of feeding the community or or both? Um, Well, the income part of it is for funding the work we're doing. That's a primary purpose of that, yeah. But also the farm as well, another purpose is because as a mission partner in the Philippines, they're not really familiar with that term, so they call you missionary. Um, You know, people tend to separate us. They sort of think, well, they're different, you know, they're, they're missionaries and and it can be quite difficult sort of relating to people and you know you don't have sort of common uh, interests whereas having the farm you know we're very much sort of on a level with our neighbors um you know so we can relate and discuss problems and opportunities um you know we're we're all experiencing the same successes failures and then also there's the you know marketing selling stuff brings you into contact with people and then when you need to buy things for the farm and then even your our workers on the farm so it opens up many more relationships with people and sort of on a you know a very natural level we're farming organically as well um and they know that and they're sort of you know there is interest in how we're doing it and you know seeing the results of it and also yes that we are trying to your farm in a biblical way as well but um i think trying is the operative word there and you've got some quite ambitious plans for other ministries within your main farming ministry can you tell me about those with children i think yeah we're planning to to work with a a local church we're in a We'll try to help out the the hill children to go to school because one of their problems is that it's too far for them to go to school. So we'll try to have some sort of a, a transient house or something like that that they can come for the weekdays and then go home on weekends and then so that it's easier for them to, to go to school. And also uh, we plan to, to have... Uh, what we we call a reading corner where we have already the books we have collected books and uh, where we want to to open it to to every anybody who wants to come to children and uh, and we'll put up uh, well we have three computers now and because we want the children from those areas to to have the opportunity also to learn about you know, have some computing skills because in the Philippines, actually, children in the in the urban areas that is part of their curriculum already. What's your farm called? Baraka Farm, not named after Barack Obama, <laughs> but it means blessing in Hebrew and Arabic. So really, the the word of the farm and and um, the fruits of your labour are are blossoming as we speak. 
well we've, we're suffering from drought at the moment because of El Nino so um, that is affecting production but we are starting to see things blossom yeah and compared to your work because I know you were CMS mission partners in the DR Congo for four years how does this compare with the DR Congo well there we were working with the diocese so you know we have somebody really an immediate partner and uh, in the Philippines we have to form that partnership and before we can form that partnership we have to gain the trust first of the local churches that's why I think it's taking longer for us to be able to work you know with the churches and uh, in DR Congo we were helping the, the, the local churches giving them training and encouraging them to to do something uh, practical in their community and then with their community and uh, to really be that the salt and light in their community and that's what we were trying to do in the Philippines but we we realized that it's not that easy to just you know present ourselves and say we want to work with you we need to gain the trust first and for them to also see us doing something in the community ourselves before they, I suppose they will, you know, be willing to let welcome us to to give them some training on on working with communities. Actions speak louder than words. Let's pray for the Reeds' continuing projects, especially setting up a residence to allow marginalised children in the surrounding hill country to be able to come and stay in order to study at school. Pray for their coordination with local churches too, and for their children Peter and Utia, who are in Manila at boarding school. Bringing us our reflection this month is mission partner Marcus Throop, working in theological education in Brazil. Sarah Holmes met him at CMS's Latin American conference, Adelante, where he shared how his Bible study underlined the theme of this month's audio mission, Sharing Life. Look at Jesus. How did he nurture and grow leaders? And so we were looking actually at uh, a seasonal reading of of Luke 24, um, 44 to 49. And... Before we got there, I was saying, well, the whole part of Jesus' ministry as described in the gospel shows us somebody who is uh, investing and spending time with people. Jesus is taking an interest in people. He's walking with them, traveling with them, eating with them. He's grieving when they grieve, so he shares in their loss. And uh, conversely, he delights to be with people in joyous occasions like parties and so forth. All of these things we see, uh, not just in Luke's Gospel, but across uh, the Gospel accounts. So what I said is that uh, I think the first key thing that we need to do in terms of growing leaders is share our life. Incredibly simple. Share our life. This is what Jesus was doing. Now, of course, we aren't Jesus. So when we share our life, we share our life as fallible followers. And the previous evening, I'd explained a little bit about that on the basis of Luke 24 and how the disciples uh, fail. And they consistently fail to understand Jesus' message. They consistently fail to see who he truly is and understand who they truly are in him. So the first thing was, yes, 
uh, acknowledge our fallibility and our weakness, but even so, uh, share our lives as fallible followers of Jesus. Marcus Throop, bringing this edition of Audio Mission to a close. Thank you for your prayers. All our people in mission really do value them. See you again next month for more authentic voices from God's global, local and everyday mission.